Romans chapter 8. I want to read verse 31 uh, through 39. God's word says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be what? Against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's you and me. If we're in Christ, we are God's elect. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who can condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your love today. Help me, God, to preach your word and help us, Lord, to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to preach today for just a few minutes on the subject of his love, the subject of God's love. Maya Angelou wrote this. She said, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps, fences, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. There is no more powerful force in the universe than true love. There is no more powerful influence in the universe than true love. Love will make you do crazy things. Love will make you do crazy things. You know, you hear stories of uh, mothers when there's a car wreck and the, that there's a child in that car and the super strength that comes on that mother to pry that, that jammed door open to get her baby out of that car. Love will give you uh, the ability to do extraordinary things. Love is the most powerful force on the universe. And I just, very quickly, I want to go through what does the Word say about God's love for us? See, we can sometimes uh, romanticize love. We define love by what we see in the movies. We define love by the romantic comedies that we watch. And does the guy get the girl at the end of the movie? Or uh, Pastor Katie loves to watch uh, uh, during the holidays, the Hallmark Christmas movies. And I can just tell you when it'll be on for like 30 seconds and I can tell her the plot of the whole movie. There's going to be a girl. She owns a store or works at a store. And that store is in financial trouble. Amen, right? And then there's going to be a guy 
who used to live in town, but he moved away and now he's rich and he comes back to town and he's a jerk at the beginning and she doesn't like him, but then he's the one that she falls in love with and then somehow the business succeeds and prospers and they fall in love and live happily ever after. And that's what we think love is. (laughs) Is that not every Hallmark movie? (laughs) Exactly that. But I want to talk about more than just the warm, fuzzy love. And I want to talk more than just about the Hallmark movie love. I want to talk about the love that really makes a difference. And the Bible, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers and is reminding them of the power of God's love. And the first thing I want to point out to you is, number one, God's love is with us in the most difficult life circumstances. God's love is with us in the most difficult life circumstances. Paul begins this passage in Romans chapter 8 by asking a series of rhetorical questions. And the first question he asked is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, you have to understand that this is kind of a crazy, ridiculous question because if you had known Paul and you knew the life that he had lived and the experiences he had as an apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ, you would know that the answer to this question is actually a lot of people are against you. That he had a lot of people against him. Paul had suffered from not only persecution from the Romans, the pagan Romans, but he had suffered persecution from religious Jews. At one point in his ministry, the religious Jews in Jerusalem were so angry at Paul that they formed a mob, they stormed the house he was staying in, and he had to sneak out the back window on the second story and be lowered in a basket by a rope to safety so that the mob wouldn't come and kill him. So he had a lot of people against him. Many times his life was threatened. He was beaten more than once for preaching about Jesus. He was imprisoned more than once for preaching about Jesus. He was uh, once, when he healed a crippled man, the crowd thanked him by throwing rocks at him. They didn't like that he did it, so they tried to stone him to death, and they left him for dead in the gutter after he all, the big offense that he had committed was he healed a man who was crippled. Many cities that he came to on his missionary journey, they would drive him out on a rail and leave him left unwelcome. And ultimately, Christian tradition tells us that Paul died at the hands of the Roman Empire, uh, beheaded for his faith in Christ. And more seriously than, than people against him, Satan was against him. Satan had an assignment on his life. In Acts chapter 19, there's a really unique story about these men called the sons of Sceva. And these men were not Christians. They weren't believers. But they, be- they had heard that people were able to have authority over evil spirits through the name of Jesus. So they hadn't submitted to Jesus, but they heard that Jesus' name had power. And so these men, the sons of Sceva, tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus like they had heard other people do it. Now how many knows you don't take Jesus' name in vain? So you don't speak in Jesus' name unless you're submitted to that name. So what happened was, these sons of Sceva who weren't believers, who weren't followers of Jesus, tried to drive out a demon in the name of Jesus. And when they did it, that demon spoke up. And the demon said, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but I don't know who you are. That tells me something, that actually Satan knew Paul by name. 
He had an assignment on Paul's life, and he knew that Paul was a powerful man of God, and so Satan did everything he could to attack Paul and his ministry. Now, the end of that story is, is that they tried to take authority over that demon, and they weren't submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ, so they were just using his name but not submitted to his name, and that demon whipped their tails, if you go back and read the story, because you don't mess with something unless you're submitted to the power and the authority of Jesus. But that's just a side note. So we know that this enemy had an assignment against Paul, that Paul had been on the devil's hit list. And we saw that spiritual attack on Paul's life. Paul actually said that he had a buffeting spirit, that there was something that came against him over and over again in his life. Paul called it the thorn in the flesh. And scholars, they don't know, was that a physical illness or was that a mental or emotional battle? We don't know. And it doesn't matter. All we know is that Paul said, it's an unclean spirit that keeps coming against me and attacking me and trying to hold me back. Paul was shipwrecked three times. Now, if you get shipwrecked once, you can say, that was a fluke. That was an accident. But if you get shipwrecked three times, something's trying to kill you. Something is after you. That's Nobody gets shipwrecked three times in, the, in their life. But, but that's what happened to Paul. Paul was bitten by a poisonous serpent that leaped out of him, out of the fire. And, and that was after he'd been shipwrecked. He had just floated onto the shore. The people on the shore built a fire. Paul was trying to help out, and a snake, a poisonous snake, jumped out and bit him. So not only three, shipwrecked three times, but that didn't kill him. So the enemy sent a snake to try to kill him, and that didn't work either. So Paul, when he says, if God's for us, who can be against us? Actually, the answer is, a lot can be against you. Look at what Paul says when he describes his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. And I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. They gave you Minus one, because they believe 40 would actually kill you. So they always stopped short of just one. Because it was a worse punishment to just almost be dead than to be dead. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in the danger from in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Let me stop right there for just a second. The American church, after reading that, ought to repent for us crying that we've been suffering through Jesus. None of us have experienced this. No matter what's going on in our political world around us, we are not to this level and we ought not to cry persecution. Yet in all of this, after experiencing all of this, Paul can say, if God before us. Who can be against us? Because look what it says in Romans 8. The next verse in Romans 8, he says, if God was willing to spare his own son and he gave his own son up for all of us, will he not also with Christ give graciously, give us all? 
all things. Paul is saying that in comparison to the love I have found in Christ Jesus, no one can really come against me. They can try to attack my body. They can try to take my life. But I have a love and I have found a Savior who is stronger than anyone. So compared to His strength, nothing can come against me. Nothing can ever come against me. Who shall bring any charge against God's chosen? Who is to condemn us? He says, Christ Jesus is the one who already died and was more than than that. He was raised to life and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for us. That word intercession is an important word to understand. That word intercession means that Jesus is praying for you. That Jesus, after he was ascended into heaven, when he was resurrected, he went to the right hand of the Father and he has been there for 2,000 years and he's been talking to the Father about his children. He has the ear of the Father. He says, watch then, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It means that you are never alone in the difficult circumstances of your life. That when we suffer, that when we're sick, that when we're sad, when we're broken, hurt, depressed, fearful, or weak, Jesus himself, God the Son, has turned to the Father, and he is speaking into the Father's ear on your behalf and on my behalf. And remember, the words that Jesus says are not just words, they have power. That when he speaks to the Father on your behalf, things begin to change and move and rearrange because Jesus is speaking. And when Jesus speaks, water turns to wine. When Jesus speaks, uh, live plants die. When Jesus speaks, mountains move. Amen. And so he's speaking to you. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is always living to make intercession for us. That word intercession, it means intervening. He's intervening on your behalf. He is pleading your case in the courtrooms of heaven right now. He is pleading your case according to God's perfect plan and purpose for your life. Through His intercession, we experience His love and His presence. And we find mercy and we find grace and we find power to help us in any kind of need, any kind of temptation, any kind of weakness, any kind of sin, any kind of trial. You You are not the only one praying for you. The Son of God Himself is speaking to the Father and praying for you, and His prayers are powerful. The one who spoke to dead bodies and they woke up is praying for you. The one who opened up blinded eyes and made the lame to walk is praying for you. The one who spoke and the wind was still and the waves were calm. He is speaking to the Father on your behalf in your situation right now. The one who valued you enough to suffer at the whipping post is praying for you. The one who loved you enough that he took nails in his hands and in his feet, he is praying for you right now. The one who fought every demon in hell and every devil assigned to your life is praying for you right now. The one who took his last breath while he spoke words of forgiveness for you is praying for you right now. The one who overcame death, hell, and the grave and everything that came against you rolled the stone away. He is praying for you right now. 
So when Paul says, if God is willing to do all of that for you, then why would we ever doubt that he won't give us all things and make, and what makes you think, what makes you think that he won't fight for you when he's already fought it all for you? When life gets tough, Jesus is tougher. When life, when the enemy seems strong, Jesus is stronger. When times are difficult, God's love is with us, even in the worst of times. I want to prophesy to someone today and tell you that just like your current difficulty had a start date, it has an end date. That's a prophetic word for somebody. Your trouble, your difficulty that you're facing right now, it had a start date. And it is not an eternal battle. It has an end date. Time is about to be up on the attack that you've been enduring and facing and this battle that's come against you. Paul, Because Paul said there is no tribulation. There is no distress. There is no persecution. There is no famine. There is no nakedness. There is no danger. There is no sword. No thing can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. So God's love is with us in the most difficult circumstances. Number two, God's love empowers us to overcome life's most difficult circumstances. I think sometimes when we know that we've got a loved one or a family member or a friend, or we just hear about someone that's facing a difficult time, we will often just pray this prayer. We'll say, Lord, be with them in their struggle, and in their difficulty. And that's a wonderful prayer to pray because we just saw that God's with us is in the most difficult, God's love is with us in the most difficult circumstances. But can I say, I think we sell ourselves short when all we do is pray God be with them because actually God wants to be, do more than just sit with you in your sin. And he wants to do more than sit with you in your sickness. And he wants to do more than just sit with you while the battle rages around you. That's wonderful. And listen, I need God with me in all of that. I need him to be there. And I'm so thankful he is. But can we start praying some prayers where, God, you've got the power to do something about it? That not just that, oh, God, would you just give them strength to endure and weather the storm. And maybe by the skin of their teeth, they'll make it. No, God says, I not only am I with you, but I'm there to help you overcome everything that you face. Look at the scripture again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, none of it shall. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So he's not just there to sit with us while we get defeated. He's there to get with us and then watch us conquer everything that comes against us. That's why he, his love is here to empower us. That word more than conquerors in the Greek, it is one word and it literally, the word is hyper victorious. You're not just a little bit victorious. You are hyper victorious because of God's love. It is victory that goes over and above. Not just a little victory, but a lot of victory. Not just a little freedom, but a lot of freedom. And as believers, we don't walk around with this woe is me victim mentality of I've just got to settle in for whatever comes against me in my life. We are not victims of our circumstances because in Christ, we are hyper victors. 
We don't just barely get by. We are overwhelmingly conquerors because Jesus won the victory through the cross and His resurrection. I want to prophesy again to somebody today and tell you today is the day you stop being a victim of circumstances in your life because you are a child of God. You are washed in the blood. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. And today is the day you're going to start walking in your God-given authority as a hyper-victorious man or woman of God. The labels that the world has put on you are not yours. God never said that about you. He never spoke that over you. He never told you that you're supposed to struggle with with same-sex attraction. He didn't put that label on you. The world might have put that label on you, but He didn't call you that. Someone says, you are this, or you fit in that category, or "You, you fit in this mold. No, you do not, because your Father in heaven did not assign that label to you. You are victorious over the things that the world has come against you and attacked you with and put you in a category and put you in a set of other people. You are not who the world tells you you are. You are more than a conqueror. The devil is absolutely terrified that you will believe God's word about you. He is absolutely terrified that you will actually believe this book. And what it says about you. He, the devil is shaking in his knees right now because someone is wondering, is this true about me? Can I really conquer the enemy in my life? Can I really rise above the, the, the things that the world has to- brought against me and tempted me with and the sin that I can I really? And the devil doesn't like you hearing this because he doesn't want you to believe it. He wants you to believe that you have to stay a victim of your circumstances and you have to stay in that category that the world has told you you fit in and he is doing everything even right now as I speak to distract people and keep people from hearing this word and disrupt their faith because he knows that if you would just grasp onto this word that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus that his days of influence in your life are numbered. He wants to keep you a victim. He wants to keep you timid and afraid. He wants to keep you in a corner where he can keep whispering his lies about how you're never going to get free from sin. You're never going to get ahead. God could never really love you. And even right now, someone is listening and is thinking, I can't ever win in life. I can't ever shake this sin. I can't ever get out of this mold. I can't ever break these chains. But how in the world could I ever be a conqueror, much less a hyper conqueror? And he's saying that junk to you right now because he's absolutely terrified that if you would believe God, he would be powerless in your life. He'll begin to lose his grip on you. Let me tell you, you can't trust the devil. You can't trust the media. You can't trust the world. You can't trust even other people sometimes, but you can always trust this book. And this book says you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. He loves you enough not just to be with you in your defeat, but to give you victory over the thing that is coming against you. The Bible says through Christ who loves us in all things, in all things, in all things, Not just in some of the things coming against you in your life. In all things, we are more than conquerors. Now, number three, and this one's important. It is possible to resist or refuse God's love. 
it is possible to refuse or resist God's love. I want to read to you one of the most troublesome verses of Scripture I've ever read in the Bible. Proverbs 29, verse 1 says, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. There will come a point in every person's life where it'll be your last chance to turn and be receptive to God's love toward you. Every one of us, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are not guaranteed a long life and a deathbed confession. And the thing is, the tragedy of that is, I've heard people say, well, I'll wait a little, I'll have, I'll wait a little bit before I turn to the Lord and, and, and let him love me and, and receive his love and live and walk in his love. The tragedy of it is that people who do that live a whole life never experiencing the love of God. See, the, the problem is, is that you're never separated from God's love. Because remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how God is omnipresent, that he's always there. But that sometimes there, because we don't acknowledge him, he can be there, but we not experience him. And so that's what happens with God's love when we refuse or resist it. It's always there. Yet we, we forfeit the experience of God's love because we're resisting or refusing it. Sometimes, when we don't receive God's love appropriately, when we don't embrace God's love, His love often can feel like anger. Let me put it to you this way. From God's heart at this very moment, there is a river of love flowing from His heart to every human being's heart. And that river, it's a, it's a fiery, passionate river of love that flows from the heart of God to you, wherever you are, wherever you are in your sin. It's a river of fiery love. It's passionate love. It's, it's powerful love. And when you embrace that love, that river of fiery love, you receive it as warmth and as an embrace and as something that purifies and draws you closer. But when you resist that love, it hurts. Let me put it, have you ever had someone you really don't like? Well, yeah, I have. You really don't like, but they're still nice to you. <laughs> I was going to say something, but it's being, uh, it's being streamed, so I'll forget that one. I was going to give you an example in my own life, but uh, better not. But have you ever, you ever really not cared for someone, but they keep being nice to you? And it's annoying. <laughs> like, don't be nice to me. I don't even like you, man. Like, just can you? And that's what Jesus says when he says, love your enemies and treat them kindly. And in doing so, it'll be like hot coals poured into their lap. It'll drive your enemies crazy if you love them. It'll, it'll, it'll hurt them that you care for them and love them even when they don't like you. And the same with God's love. It's love 
when you receive it, it feels great. When you resist it, it feels awful. How about this? When, kids, you're mad at your parents, and you're kind of stewing in your room, and then mom or dad comes and talks to you, and they want to make things right, and they're loving on you and telling you they love you. You don't want to hear that mess right then. I'm mad at you. I don't want to receive love from you because I'm mad at you, right? It is the same way when we resist or refuse God's love. It will nag you. It will drive you crazy. Why do sinners right before, have you ever noticed this, people that are running from God, right before they finally give in and get saved, they're mean? You ever notice that people who are, who are running from God and they just get meaner and meaner and meaner and they get angry and angry and angrier until they give in because God's love is hunting them down and they're just, they're feeling that love but they're sensing it as a fire of judgment instead of a warmth of God's loving embrace. But as soon as you turn and stop resisting and embrace that love, what felt like judgment now feels like warmth and acceptance and reception. We can resist God's love and there will come a point if you don't turn and what's the biblical word? Repent, which literally means stop running from God and start running to God. Stop going one direction and go the other direction. When we do that, there will be a point where if you don't do that, one day you'll breathe your last breath. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck. Stiffens it. You can't turn a stiff neck. You can't repent if you're stiff-necked. Will suddenly be broken beyond healing. There is a limited amount of time to receive his love in this life. If we don't repent, if we don't turn toward his love, submit to his lordship and choose to receive his love, even though he never stops loving us, one day it's possible that we could forfeit the opportunity to finally receive it. And listen to this. When we refuse God's love, I want to share with you what happens. Number one, we forfeit his protection. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and they're protected. If we keep running from God, we're running out from his divine protection over our lives. There is no safer place to be than right dead center in the middle of God's love. But when you leave and you, that's what the prodigal son did. He left the father's house and outside the father's house, he was no longer under the protection of his father. And so when we forfeit or when we resist or refuse God's love, we're saying, God, I don't need you to look after me and I don't need you to protect me. I know better than you do, God. And when we resist and refuse God's love, we forfeit his forgiveness. God will forgive anything. He is the most forgiving being in the entire universe. He will forgive absolutely anything. And, but for some reason, the enemy deceives us into thinking that we can find freedom from the burdens we carry by running from God instead of running to God who was willing and ready to forgive. And ultimately, we forfeit eternal life when we refuse or resist God's love. Look at Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul writing again. He says, Brothers... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have of, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. When we resist or refuse God's love, the Bible calls us God's enemies. 
God's not mad at us, and he's, he's not making us his enemies. We make him our enemy. And Paul says, in tears, I'm reminded there are people who are walking as enemies of the cross. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, their materialism, them filling themselves with worldly things. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Notice Paul is weeping as he's writing this. Because there are people who are refusing and resisting God's love. And he says their end is destruction. They've made their own self-concerns their gods. And they glory in their shame. But look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, he's saying, there are people, if you resist or refuse God's love, the end of that kind of a life, if left unrepented, is destruction. And can I tell you, not even the end of that life is destruction. The whole pathway is destruction. But if you would just turn the other direction down that road and turn toward him, he says, then your citizenship isn't destruction. Your citizenship is a kingdom that is eternal. And there's eternal life. And he will give you, he will come back and get you. The Bible says we just sang about it, that the trump's going to sound and he's going to take his church home to be with him forevermore. And we'll receive a glorious body and we will be delivered from all the pains and the aches and the hurts and the sins and the temptations of this life. That's what his love will do for us. It is possible to refuse and resist God's love. And the end is destruction. And I want you to understand this. I, I, I do not believe God sends anyone to hell. I believe in hell. I do not believe it was ever intended to be the eternal destination of any human being. It was supposed to be a place where God would forever condemn Satan forever coming against God's creation. It was a place of punishment intended only for Satan. God never willed that anybody would ever end up there. He doesn't send people to hell. People choose hell when we resist and refuse his love. And listen, it's not just one day you'll go to hell if you refuse his love. How many of you know I've tried refusing or resisting his love and it was a living hell? It's possible to refuse or resist God's love. It's possible to be in church your entire life every Sunday and resist or refuse his love. But look at number four. It is impossible to ever go beyond the reach of his love. It is impossible to ever go beyond the reach of his love. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul is writing in chapter 5. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. He 
He says in chapter 5, verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, aren't you glad he knows when the right time is? At the right time, Christ died for who? The, the Christians? The church folks? The perfect? No. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Most of us wouldn't even give up our lives for a good guy. Maybe one person, he says, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare to even die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He didn't wait for us to repent to die. He died hoping we'd repent. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul is saying here that even when you were running from his love, you never outran his love. You can't run far enough to be outside of the reach of his arm. He is in hot pursuit of us in our sin and in our destruction, and he is always just behind you, waiting for you to turn around. You can't outrun him. You can't get away from him. And you might hate that he's chasing you sometimes. You might hate. So for some reason, when we don't want to be loved, we hate when people love us. And it might drive you crazy sometimes, and he will drive you absolutely insane until you choose to just turn the other way and say, okay, God, finally, I give up, and I'll let you love me. And in that moment, all the benefits of his love become yours. And then you can say, like Paul, if God is for me, who can be against me? No persecution, no family. We have never in, in this part of the world and in our lives have ever faced the kind of attack that Paul faced. Ever. And Paul could still say his love was worth every bit of it. If he just loved me, I'd let him whip me 40 more times. If he just loved me, if I had more heads to cut off, I'd let him cut off every one of them if I knew he loved me. If he just loved me, I'd go to prison as many times as I had to and as for as long as I had to because I know he loves me. And in all things, his love has never abandoned me and never left me. Even when I was in my sin, he didn't leave me or abandon me. How much more now that I have chosen him will he stay with me and not only stay with me, he will give me and make me more than a conqueror through his love. Would you stand with me this morning?